Immerse yourself in rich biblical history and Christian heritage with Vision Tours. Exploring Australia, the Holy Lands and other global destinations. Forge bonds of lasting friendship as you fellowship with like-minded believers and discover a new richness in your faith in Christ and a broader understanding of the world's Christian heritage. Enjoy the fellowship of a lifetime with Vision Tours. Explore upcoming tour packages at vision.org.au slash tours. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Our special guest is Elizabeth Kendall. She's an international religious liberty analyst and advocate and also an adjunct research fellow at the Arthur Jeffrey Centre for the Study of Islam at Melbourne School of Theology. Uh, she's released a bunch of great books on uh, subjects like Understanding the Christian Crisis in the Middle East, and uh, she's our guest today on 2020. Uh, before we get into talking about Nigeria, uh, Elizabeth, welcome to the program. I'd just love to know your thoughts. What's your take on uh, the federal uh, election results here in Australia? Oh, good morning, Matt, and, and uh, thanks for having me and for filling in for Neil, uh, who we who we miss. But uh, my thoughts on the on the general election in Australia. Well, I think my view of of the situation in Australia is that we really are at what we might say is the pointy end of the pineapple of culture change. Yeah. So you have the the long march through the institutions. Uh, you know that started um, you know like over half a century ago. And uh, the first to fall in the long march through the institutions by the, uh, the cultural Marxists were the universities. They targeted the universities. They were strategic in that because they knew that they could undermine society from within it if they captured the universities. So for decades now, actually, the universities have been pumping out doctors and dentists and lawyers and school teachers and all sorts of professionals who uh, have great skills in their field but have all been ideologically um, uh, or indoctrinated and are left-leaning or Marxist-leaning. Um, many don't even realise that their views are actually Marxist in orientation and they would probably deny it if you put it to them, but, but they are. And we're seeing that. And the reason we're seeing the flip of seats, <clears throat> liberals losing seats in like the most expensive seats in the whole country, you know, right, you know, on the north shore of, of Sydney and on Sydney Harbour, you know, in, in Malcolm Turnbull's old seat and in Kooyong, and, you know, in, in Victoria and in, in, in Goldstein, which is Brighton, you know, on the, on the bay. So these are the richest, most wealthy seats in the country have flipped mostly to the teal independence now is because of this culture change where um, very wealthy people who who don't have to worry about where the money's going to come from to put food on the table uh, because they've got good university degrees <laughs> and have been indoctrinated in university while they're at it, uh, they can indulge in these uh, different sorts of um, uh, non-economic issues and uh, they're flipping these uh, very, very wealthy seats and I think really the Liberals need to not actually go more towards the progressives but they need to realise, yes, we are the party of the battlers and um, and to really uh, be bold about who they are and um, the, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the future and 
And whatever it is, God is at work and uh, sometimes he works by shaking us up and shakes us to our core and he gets out the refining fire and, and the church has to stand up and be brave and speak truth in the midst of it and continue to pray always for our leaders. Amen, Elizabeth. Well said. And, you know, we were just chatting to Martin Niles from the Christian Lobby before and, you know, uh, we, we both agreed that this is a wake-up call for Christians to pray, to speak up, to be educated and be be active uh, in, uh, yes, in speaking absolutely. about the future of our nation because a lot of Christians are just apathetic and, you know, don't don't really think it's a big deal. But uh, we've got to make sure we, we, we speak up for uh, what God's called us to speak up for. So uh, uh, wonderful to hear your take on that, Elizabeth. And I, I know that wasn't the, the topic we, uh, we booked you to talk on today, but uh, I really do appreciate your thoughts on that. Uh, now, let's no let's turn our attention towards Nigeria. It's one of the most mm. dangerous places for Christians uh, in the world. Uh, and, you know, this horrific killing of Deborah Emanuel is just a heartbreaking story. Tell us, what, what's the latest you're hearing uh, on the ground in Nigeria? Well, yeah, the killing was incredibly violent. It's the sort of thing you often... We, I, I hear killings like this in Pakistan sometimes and in other places... Um, in Nigeria, usually people are killed, being killed by terrorists and jihadists and bandits that work with terrorists and jihadists. And in fact, uh, UNICEF published a report in May that said 18.5 million Nigerian children are out of school due to insecurity. That's up from 10.5 million in 2021. And as they note, it's because of attacks by jihadists and terrorists, uh, often in league with bandits in the north. But the killing of Deborah Emanuel uh, on, this, on this college, this college of education in Sokoto, which is in Nigeria's far northwest, was at the hands of her own fellow students. So a boy whose advances she'd rejected accused her of blasphemy and within minutes, he had, uh, he had, you know, created a bonfire, basically, was able to just unleash it upon her, and she was stoned to death, and then her body burned at the hands of boys, ordinary boys who live in the community and, and go to the College of Education. These were not terrorists. These were not jihadists. They were not bandits holding up trains on the Abuja, you know, Kaduna Highway. They were fellow students, and so this has really sent shockwaves uh, through Nigeria. But this is what happens when you've got Sharia law. Uh, Sokoto is one of the 12 states of Nigeria that's under, under Sharia law. It, it, it in, engenders this sense of, uh, of Islamic indignation and superiority that they can get away with taking Sharia law into their own hands. And you accuse someone of blasphemy, well, Sharia law says death for the blasphemer, so they killed her. They filmed the whole thing, not fearing any sort of, um, you know, justice from the state. And in fact, there have only been two, two of the boys on the um, young men on the video have been arrested. Probably dozens more could be, but two have been arrested. They've been charged with disturbing the peace. And 34 lawyers have come forward to represent them. So it's going to be, uh, I think this is going to be a pivotal case, actually, uh, in Nigeria. Mm. Oh, my goodness. You know, having daughters myself, I just can't imagine um, the, the horrible death that she went through. And, you know, we, we know she'll receive a martyr's reward. We know she's in a better place now. But it's just heartbreaking to, to think uh, that, you know, in, in 2022, this is happening. 
uh, around the world. Yes. And, you, and you don't hear about it in the in in the media here in Australia, other than on Vision, hey? Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. You know, Nigeria, as you said before, is one of the most dangerous places in the world for Christians. And um, and, and we'll be talking about this, you know, over the course of this hour. But when did you last hear any news on mm. mainstream media about ethnic cleansing through the middle belt of Nigeria? Um, you know, the mainstream media is loathed to say anything that might cause us to feel anxious about Islam mm, or mm. to have a bad view of Islam. So it's all buried. It's buried really quickly. They don't want to know about it. I, in fact, I would actually say we have very little on our media at all about Africa in general. Mm, mm. <laughs> and that's a whole other story, you know, like why not? You know, so it's very interesting. Mm. So tell us a bit about Nigeria. <laughs> uh, there's, there's quite severe persecution in the north, but is the south very different? Well, the South is different. So the North, Nigeria is a you know pretty big country. It's one of the largest and uh, most populous countries in, in all of Africa. And the North, the further you go to the North, the more Islamic it is and the more predominantly, you know, Muslim and ethnic Fulani and Hausa it is. So the further you go North, the more Islamic. And the further you go South, uh, you have Christian Tribes, so black African tribes, they're completely different to the Fulani. So the Fulani were, were Muslims. They have had Arab influence uh, coming down over, over the Sahel. And when the British arrived in Nigeria, oh, they, they fell in love with the Fulanis. They were so they're beautiful to look at. They stood straight and tall. They were dignified. They were well organized. They had their schools. The madrasas, they had their law, the Sharia courts. But the black African Christians in the southern part of Nigeria, the Yoruba and the Ibo, they were pagan. They were into like African traditional religions and witchcraft and killings, and they just thought they were disgusting. And they essentially agreed with the Fulani that these southern tribes who were good for nothing more than slavery, really. But you see, then what happened was the British wanted to introduce like nation-building measures to Nigeria. So the British introduced British education and British law and constitutionalism and, and British missionaries came in and brought the gospel and brought Christianity. And of course, the, the Muslims rejected it outright. So right across the north of Nigeria, the, the Fulani... And Hausa Muslims said, we don't need your education, we've got our own. And we don't need your law, we've got our own. But the, the African traditionalists in the black African tribes of the South, they were liberated by it. So they'd been enslaved to these horrible occultic tribal fates, you know, where, where you have to kill your twins when they're born, where, you, where there's casting spells on everybody and there's witchcraft mm. and there's killing and it's horrible. Mm. And they were, they, Christianity liberated them. It also brought them health care and they embraced education. And within a couple of decades, you have Southern Nigerian Africans, black Africans, you know, getting, getting degrees in, in Cambridge and everything. And of course, What's happened is that, of course, then, then the south of Nigeria has, be, has developed 
and become very prosperous uh, beyond the fact that they've discovered oil there. But, you know, they've become great administrators and educators. So there's a lot of tension in Nigeria. The country only barely holds together. And, you know, the, the, when they've had their first democratic elections, after having many, many years of military rule, Nigerians elected a Yoruba, that's a, a Christian man, a Christian man from the southwest, and the 12 northern states all rebelled by enacting Sharia law. So you have sort of two laws now functioning in Nigeria. The whole country is fragile. And the north, the further you go in the north, the worse the persecution is for Christians because of Islam. Now, in the south, it's different. I mean, the south has problems, um, the whole country is racked with corruption and, and troubled by the corruption of one of the most corrupt governments in the world. But the Southern Church also has problems. It has problems with syncretism. So some of that, you know, African tribal religion still lingers on. And there are people who go to church on Sunday and see the, the witch doctor for a spell on Monday. And they have a lot of problems too with the import in recent decades of prosperity theology, which is really having a terrible, terrible impact on the church in the South, but they don't have a problem uh, with persecution. Where the North meets the South in the middle, you have a what I regard as a fault line, a, a racial and religious fault line, and it is volatile and it is delicate. And there's a whole string of states that straddle that fault line that have Muslims in the north and Christians in the south. If there's a majority of Muslims overall, they have Sharia law. And the, I call this basically the band of jihad. This is where you see the Muslim tribes, the Fulani and the Hausa, pressing south and they're pressing into these Christian areas and this is the, the, the band of jihad running right through the middle belt of Nigeria. And Christians are being slaughtered. They are being ethnically cleansed in what is a genocidal war for the middle belt. There's over 1.3 million people displaced through the middle belt. And, and it's just a topic that is never broached in, in our media today, mostly because the, the victims are Christians and the perpetrators are Muslims, and so the media doesn't want to touch it. How can I help you today, mate? Have you got a question or a comment for Elizabeth? Uh, i got a comment for me. What would you like to say? Yeah, I want to say that uh, Jesus talked about this persecution against the Christian. Yeah. And he said uh, if he were now, it was he was rejected by his own people, we the Christian, we should expect this thing to happen to us. I don't say it's good, but uh, because even the government is getting involved in this thing, killing children, abortion, it's the same as uh, uh, killing jihadi, killing people. Human being to kill them is very easy to do because of harmless people, people that got no fear of God. And I'm curious, brother, where's your accent from? I'm from Liberia, West Africa. West Africa. Uh, Elizabeth, any thoughts or comments? I thought I recognised that Nigerian accent there. Beautiful. Thank you for calling in. 
Uh, yes, no fear of God. Certainly no fear of the God of the Bible. That's that's for sure. So, um, so and which really brings me to one of the most important things. You know, Jesus said when Jesus was telling his disciples that persecution will come, and he, he said, you know, the day is coming when, when people, they will persecute you uh, just because you are, they will kill you because you are a Christian, and they will kill you and say they are doing it for God. And Jesus says, they will do this because they have not known the Father or me. So while while mission and, uh, you know, Christians speaking up often attracts persecution and uh, persecution is a response to it, it's actually the only solution. It's the only solution to the problem of persecution. So the churches, instead of running away from church persecution, must always step forward with the gospel because they do this because they do not know the Father or me or Jesus. So we go out with the gospel and lead people to Christ as the Holy Spirit does his work and and uh, assure the devil fights back. He fights back with persecution that Christ is building his church and as Christ continues to build his church, um, eventually we will see the gospel win uh, in Nigeria as much as in our own land as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. And we've got another caller here. We've got Rodney from South Australia. How are you, Rodney? Yeah, doing great, thanks. Listen, it's really interesting to hear um, uh, your speaker talking about Nigeria, but I was reminded that recently, uh, I'm sure I read a, an email from the Go Movement leader, um, uh, Verna Nuttall, about what's going on in Nigeria, and I believe that just about the whole Christian church has joined the Go Movement that's currently being uh, advertised on the radio. Um, I also hear snippets of some of the amazing things of way good the way God is breaking through in Nigeria, and I'm just looking forward. I mean, look, there's terrible things going on, and yet um, there is always that, uh, as Martin said earlier, there's the cloud with the silver lining. Um, I just wanted to say that, um, and also that uh, here in Australia, it's more like we're having to put up with the inconvenience of the left but it's certainly not life-threatening like the other countries. But um, as things get darker, um, clearly, I guess, the light ought to be coming brighter. Thank you. Absolutely, Rodney. Thank you so much for your call from uh, beautiful South Australia. Elizabeth, we've got about uh, a minute to go to the news. Any thoughts on that? Well, that, that's a topic, actually, that I want to really focus on towards the end of this issue, at the end of this uh, hour that we have together. Because persecution is always a response. The devil responds with persecution. Uh, and he responds because of what's happening. The church is growing. There are unprecedented conversions to Christianity uh, in, in northern Nigeria amongst Muslims. I even hear reports of whole villages uh, at the conversion of their village leaders. Uh, they turn to Christ. So, yes, there's a, there's a lot happening that is making the devil very, very angry. The other thing is, unlike many churches, actually, in Africa, the Nigerian church is a very active missionary-sending church. It not only sends missionaries across Nigeria and across North Africa, it has a vision, similar to the Back to Jerusalem vision in China. It has a vision to send missionaries to England 
because they brought the gospel to Nigeria and they're watching the church, you know, wilt a bit in England and they're watching, you know, cultural Marxism rise and they have a calling to take the gospel back to England. And that's another reason why the devil is not going to stop persecuting the church in Nigeria. So we have to get on board and we have to pray for the church in Nigeria. Amen. Well, it's been so good to... uh have, have Elizabeth Kendall with us for the first half hour. She's with us for another 30 minutes. And if you'd like to join the conversation, call now 1-800-316-316. Our guest is Elizabeth Kendall. I believe in it. <laughs> wow, that's, that's inspiring. I might start tuning in. It's wonderful, Elizabeth. I really appreciate your encouragement and appreciate your prayers for us at Visionathon this week. It's going to be a big week. Uh, Now, let's turn our attention to Nigeria. We've been talking over the last half hour about uh, some of the horrific uh, stories coming out of Nigeria. Uh, I should just mention, if you want to join the conversation, call now. We've got another 20 minutes with Elizabeth, and if you want to have a chat, call now, 1-800-316-316. Now, Elizabeth, there's been a lot of... Islamic jihadist groups in Nigeria. Uh, some may have heard of Boko Haram and others. Uh, tell us, what's the, what's the latest you're hearing uh, in, in Nigeria right now? Look, I think the situation with terrorism is absolutely alarming. Uh, I, I believe that um, the capital city, Abuja, is in danger of being encircled. Um, which is just, just I mean, I, I can't understand why there isn't more about this in the news, the expansion of these terrorist organisations. More Christians, uh, and might actually be more people, uh, but certainly more Christians died at the hands of Islamic terror organisations in Nigeria in recent years than in any other country. Mm. So this is number one for terrorism at the moment. And I think I think it's... There were actually more terrorist attacks in Nigeria than any other country. It's huge. So it all starts back in 2002, oh, although, well, that's when Boko Haram was formed. This is the main, the main sort of terrorist organization of the 21st century, also known as the Nigerian Taliban. Now, after the 9-11-2001 terror attacks, you know, the planes that went into the Twin I was in New York and everything. There were religious riots in the middle belt of Nigeria, particularly in Jos, the capital of Plateau, and in Kaduna. And there were killings, great killings of Christians through that area. But the whole thing really spurred, gave a, a wind of energy to, to Islamists in Nigeria. And in 2002, just months after all this, uh, Boko Haram was founded by a religious cleric named Muhammad Yusuf. And he uh, set up a base in the northeast of Nigeria in, in Borno State. And he just started uh, basically enacting sort of Sharia law here and there and everywhere and terrorizing everybody. And um, when, he w- when he died in custody in 2009, Boko Haram got a new leader. And their new leader, who was inaugurated in uh, June 2010, Abubakar Shekau, uh, had strong ties with Al-Qaeda. This is an Al-Qaeda-aligned group, because um, this is before you know, Islamic State even existed. So he's, a, he's aligned with, with Al-Qaeda, but he is a, he's a bit of a psychopath, you know, and he sort of runs along what is really the, the Islamic State mentality. So... 
So he, he rubs everyone in Al-Qaeda up the wrong way. He's killing everyone that he can get his hands on. So Al-Qaeda and Islamic State differ greatly in that Islamic State just says, if you don't agree with this, you're an apostate and we're going to kill you because we're going to enact a caliphate right now. God demands it. We're going out to get it. Al-Qaeda has always been different to that. It's actually more intelligent, more strategic. They believe in a long war and that you have to win the war before you can enact Sharia law. So their tactic is to win the hearts and minds of Muslims so that they will give you sanctuary as you're fighting the government and killing Christians and everything. They'll give you sanctuary. uh, They'll give you intelligence. So you have to befriend all the local Muslims. You don't go around killing them. But Boko Haram's leader, Shekau, he went around killing Muslims all over the place. And uh, so that created a split. So we have the first split is not long after Shekau becomes the leader. And in in 2012, uh, an al-Qaeda group splits away. They're called Ansaro, and they split away because Shekau's a loose cannon, crazy, you know, psychopath. And he, he moves back to... He'd been terrorizing the, the Middle Belt and the North, and he moves back to uh, to Borno State. But not long after that, uh, he, he 2015, Shekau um, pledges allegiance to Islamic State, right? So Islamic State has now risen up in the Middle East, and al-Baghdadi is now the caliph. And so Shekau says, oh, this is my kind of guy, you know, go out there and kill everyone who doesn't agree with you. He's my kind of guy. He pledges allegiance to to um, Baghdadi and becomes and and he starts the Islamic State West Africa province. And they're out there killing everyone like mad. But it doesn't take Baghdadi long too to realize that Shekau is really like a bit of a psychopath and that he can't be reined in, he can't be controlled. So Al Baghdadi of Islamic State sort of sacks him and appoints a new leader. And Shekau won't have a bar of that. So he splits away and creates a new group, uh, the pseudonym for which is JAS, J-A-S. But we'll, keep, we'll go back to Boko Haram. So now we have these three different groups, uh, and they're all competing with each other. And, and Boko Haram is essentially at war, too, with Islamic State. And in... May 2021, Islamic State West Africa province assassinates Shekau. Uh, in fact, or he actually killed himself when he, when he realised they were coming for him and that his own team was betraying him. So he put on a suicide vest, vest and blew himself up. Now, after that, his faction of Boko Haram split. Some went off to... Islamic State of West Africa province and others went and started a new group which I keep referring to as Boko Haram and they established themselves in the predominantly Christian southern portion of Kaduna State. This is a a very volatile middle belt area and it's predominantly Christian. It's just a a string of Christian villages across the southern of of Kaduna State And they've set up there with bomb makers and trained terrorists amongst the Christians right on the doorstep 
of the capital territory. They've also taken over about over a thousand communities, I think, in the eastern region of Niger State, and they are spreading out in this area around the capital, around um, Abuja, the Nigeria's capital territory. Meanwhile, Islamic State West Africa province has just in the last two months come back on the scene and is not just committing terror up in the northeast, they are moving down into the middle belt and committing terror in the middle belt on the eastern side of the capital and on the south of the capital, which is why I said to you right at the beginning of our talk, I'm really anxious that the capital of Nigeria is in the process of being surrounded by Islamic terrorists. And the real danger is if Boko Haram under new leadership and Islamic State also now under new leadership combines all these groups, uh, I think that Nigeria is going to be in a really, really bad, bad, bad place. Well, we are hearing from Elizabeth Kendall, an international religious liberty analyst and advocate, and uh, some quite shocking events uh, that that are taking place, hearing about the Islamic jihadist groups in Nigeria. And, uh, you know, it's it's flabbergasting that this isn't uh, broadcast on the mainstream media. Uh, We're we're taking your calls today. If you've got a question or a comment for Elizabeth, you can call through on 1-800-316-316. We've got Brendan from Serena in Queensland. How are you, Brendan? Uh, I'm doing quite well. Uh, Thank you, sir. Have you got a question Um, or a comment for Elizabeth? Uh, a question, actually. Um, you're talking about uh, the situation with, you know, the splits and so forth. So how do the, like, your average you know, uh, Muslim feel about this? Are they becoming a bit disillusioned seeing all this, like, rampant killing and so forth going on around them? Well, I would suggest that many are. Thanks for that question, Brendan, because we are actually seeing unprecedented numbers of Muslims coming to Christ in northern Nigeria. We've also got um, very, very brave Christian missionaries, some who are foreign, who are British and even Australians, who are working in that middle belt of Nigeria. Uh, they're, They're receiving orphans, children who have been made orphans by Boko Haram. And they are reaching out to Muslim communities uh, with love, with skills training, with humanitarian aid, and they know full well that Muslims are not their enemy. Muslims are not their enemy. Muslims are the mission field, and they know that. And so they are reaching out to Muslims, and Muslims are becoming Christians in, in, in Nigeria, in northern Nigeria. And uh, this is one of the reasons why the devil is kicking back with, with all this persecution. So the ministry to Muslims is really, really important. There's a number of groups that have had to set up safe houses throughout, our, throughout Nigeria where Muslim converts have been able to leave their village and then grow in Christ and survive as apostates over you know several years. And many of them... Some go back to other villages, some go out to other villages, some actually go back to their home village and lead them all to the Lord. What God is doing in Nigeria is amazing. Now, the other side of the coin 
is that there is so much corruption in Nigeria that there are more people, in, in just raw numbers, more people today in Nigeria living in poverty than there are people living in, in poverty in India, even though India has seven times the population of Nigeria. India has lifted people out of poverty, whereas Nigeria, which is oil-rich, is plunging, is becoming a failed state. So you have lots of people, lots of, especially across the north, lots of Muslims who are just there in dire poverty. Uh, it's dangerous, it's lawless, there's insecurity everywhere, uh, terrorism everywhere, they're struggling to feed their families, and then these jihadist groups come along and they say, we'll pay you to fight for us. So there's this recruiting that happens. There's also recruiting through the mosques. So the mosques offer free education, much of which is uh, funded by Saudi Arabia, and it radicalizes them and it prepares them for life as a jihadi. So one of the, I've got a prayer bulletin actually from um, August uh, 2020, which is entitled Corruption is Killing the Christians of Nigeria. One of, the, one of the big corruption scandals in Nigeria is the fact that the government, which is a Muslim, Fulani Muslim government, and all the military, and the military is overwhelmingly Muslim too, and Fulani Muslim, are profiting from the war against Boko Haram and, and Islamic State West Africa province. And because they profit from it, they have no intention of actually winning it. So what happens is that senior military figures who are corrupt give, uh, you know, requisition forms to government ministers who mm. are corrupt. And they say, we'd like to buy, you know, five fighter jets, please. And the government ministers say, oh, yes, here's lots of billions of dollars. And off they go and they split the money and pocket it and put it in offshore accounts. And meanwhile, Nigerian soldiers are being sent out onto the front line to battle hardened terrorists with automatic weapons and bulletproof breasts, and the soldiers have nothing. The soldiers are short on ammunition. They have no supplies. They're hungry, and they, their morale is at rock bottom. Mm. And as long as this situation continues, corruption is both fe it's feeding the terrorism movement, it's killing Christians, and corruption is probably the number one issue that must be dealt with in Nigeria. Well, Elizabeth, our time's almost up. And uh, Brendan, by the way, thank you for your call. Uh, before we uh, wrap up, uh, I just think it's important that we pray for Nigeria. And, you know, I, I just know it's uh, you, you mentioned your prayer bulletin. And, you know, I just think it's such, such an important thing that we are educated about what's happening around the world and that we are praying for them. Would you lead us in some prayer, Elizabeth, just for a minute or so before we wrap up, uh, so we can all join together. We'll have Australia's biggest prayer meeting together now. Is that all right? <laughs> that's, that's wonderful. Thank you very much, Matt. Yes, dear God, our Heavenly Father, you are the God who uh, created the heavens and the earth. Nothing is unseen to you. You know everything that is happening in this world. And dear Lord God, we know that you are good and we know that you are a redeemer and that even the worst things that we see, the worst things we hear about, you can redeem them for good. 
And Father, we thank you that in the midst of all these trials and terrors, uh, that Muslims are coming to, to Christ in Nigeria. Father, we thank you that by your Holy Spirit, you are bringing about an awakening. And we just pray, Lord God, that you would just send your Holy Spirit in power throughout Nigeria, particularly through the north, which is under Sharia, and through the middle belt, which is wracked by jihad. Send your Holy Spirit to open hearts and soften hearts and awaken minds of Muslims and to look for a better way. And Father, we pray for the church. We pray firstly, Lord, that you would embolden the church to go forth with the gospel, knowing that Muslims are not the enemy. They are the mission field. And they only persecute because they do not know the Father or the Lord Jesus Christ. So mission is the solution to the problem in Nigeria, the problem of terrorism, the problem of corruption, every problem that they can think of. And Father, we also pray for your persecuted church. Father, we pray that you would hold them in your arms, that you would shelter them under eagles' wings, that you would carry them and draw them close to you. Father, we pray that they would know your presence that they would feel your love. We pray, Lord, that you would lift up their heads and fill them with faith and confidence that you have not lost control. Father, we pray that you would supply all their needs. We pray that uh, the devil would have no victory in Nigeria. We pray that they will send out missionaries as they plan across Nigeria across North Africa and into England and the United Kingdom and Western Europe. We pray that your plans for Nigeria will be fulfilled. And we pray this to you in confidence because you are King of Kings and Lord of Lords in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. What a powerful prayer and wonderful to hear from you today uh, on a very difficult topic. But uh, I do want to people, uh, point people towards the website, elizabethkendall.com. That's Elizabeth, K-E-N-D-A-L dot com. And uh, people can find uh, links to some books, including After Saturday Comes Sunday, Understanding the Christian Crisis in the Middle East, Turn Back the Battle, Isaiah Speaks to Christians Today, and uh, links to the Religious Liberty Prayer Bulletin, uh, and more details about the story of Deborah Emanuel. It's been wonderful to hear uh, uh, your passion for the persecuted church and for prayer. And uh, it's been uh, inspirational to catch up with you today, Elizabeth. Thanks for your time. God bless. And thanks for having me, Matt. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.